Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. Let me start today with two surprising statistics. First, 80%, of managers have one or more employees who are working remotely. And 90% of project teams have remote team members. That's a lot of work. And this is all before the crisis with our current pandemic. So yet at the same time, one of the questions that I get routinely from leaders everywhere around the world coming and going is how do I manage people who are not in the same location as I am? In other words, who are remote from me. And that's what we want to focus on today, all things remote. Now, fortunately, we have a fabulous guest to talk about this one, and my guest is Kevin Eikenberry. He's a world-renowned leadership expert, a best-selling author, speaker, consultant, trainer, coach, leader, learner, husband, and father, not necessarily in that order, and he's um, the chief potential officer of the Kevin Eikenberry Group. For today's conversation, he's the best-selling author of The Long Distance Leader, The Rules for Remarkable Remote Leadership. Now, that isn't all that Kevin has to claim to fame. He is also the author of another very good best-selling book, which is called Remarkable Leadership, Unleasing Your Leadership Potential One Skill at a Time. And in the context of that, Kevin is the creator and content developer of the Remarkable Leadership System. He's been featured in all sorts of places, including Inks.com's Top 100 Leadership and Management Experts in the World, the 100 Great Leadership Speakers for Your Next Conference, American Management Association Leaders to Watch in 2015, Top Sales World's 2015 Top Sales and Marketing Influencers. We could go on and on, the best 50 blog sites, and so on. So, Kevin, it is with great pleasure. Welcome to the show. Wanda, thank you for reading that introduction that my mother wrote. I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there's a lot. I don't think I read about a third of it, too. There's a lot to say about you. And boy, could this not have been more timely, because I think we are all now living with not being in the same location um, in you know more ways than I think we ever expected. I heard a, a statement the other day that has me mindful about my language. And that statement was, what does remote mean? Who's remote, me or you? And there's always this implication that the person who's away from the leader is remote, but I kind of like the notion that we need to be thinking about we're just not in the same location. It makes neither of us lesser in some ways. So you're going to hear me stumble on the language accordingly. Well, I mean, I think the the reality is it doesn't matter, right? Now, the only time that that matters is if you have what I would call a hybrid team, which right now we don't have. By the time this goes live, maybe you will have. A hybrid team is simply to me means some people are together and some are not. And likely if some are together, as if you're the leader, you're with the togethers and not the nots, right? But for the most part, a remote team or a remote leader, it just means that you're not in the same physical location as those that you are working with, collaborating with, and leading. 
Yeah. And I think on a, on, I don't know what normal means anymore, but on a more common basis, on a more routine basis, most people are dealing with that, where there's one or two or three who are in other locations, often not with each other, and they're the minority as opposed to the majority. Okay, so why do you care about them? So you wrote a book, it's a big deal. Why do you care about this topic? What got you started thinking about remote challenges? Well, First of all, I've been working with and helping leaders for 30 years, uh, and I've been leading a remote team for 10. Uh, and so, I don't know, four or five years ago, I co-founded the Remote Leadership Institute because I knew it was uh, a challenge and would become a bigger challenge as time would go on. And so, uh, it's just in our quest, Wanda, to be as much of service as we can to leaders everywhere to help them make a bigger positive difference that we knew that there were some nuances for those who were doing it remotely. And, and as I said, since I'd been doing it and working with clients who were dealing with it, we decided to, to focus on it a little bit more. Great. Now, you did a bunch of research for this book. And again, it's called Remote Leadership. The Long Distance Leader. Excuse me, I got the wrong title. Rules for Remarkable Remote Leadership. You did a bunch of research on this one. Tell, tell me just a little bit about the kind of research that you did to go into creating this book. Well, certainly we did sort of the kind of research everyone would do in terms of, you know, looking at the literature and all that stuff. But a large part of ours was with our clients and uh, what challenges they were facing and and doing research with remote teams in terms of where, where were the challenges they were facing with their leaders. So the largest percentage of the research that we did was directly uh, in the real world with our clients and uh, those that we work with. So that that's what the focus of that was. But you know what? Since that book came out in 2018, it seems like a long time ago, right? Uh, and so a lot of the research and even the numbers that you used, Wanda, to open uh, this mm-hmm. conversation are higher now than they were when we did that research yeah. leading up to yeah. that book coming out in the middle of 2018. So, And were they higher before we have the pandemic crisis and everybody is working in different locations? Well, it's been a growing trend, but I think what's happened now with the lockdown and shelter in place and whatever words you want to use there, you know, the numbers skyrocketed, right? And I think here's the other, I think, really important distinction. You were saying you're stumbling over that word remote. People use virtual and distributed and all sorts of words, but here's the thing that I think is most important for us to think about now is there's a big difference between having someone that works from home or works from home once in a while and having a truly remote team, a committed, connected, engaged team. And I think our challenge as leaders isn't just to how do we deal with it if we've got some people working from home now and then, right? But how do we really create an effective, engaged team when some or all of us aren't in the same location? Yeah, I think that's the prize. I think it's easy to say it, and I think it's extraordinarily difficult to do it. And I'll describe to you what I see all the time in my clients. And that is some people run into each other, either because they're sitting next to each other or they see each other in the elevator or on transportation or at the gym or who knows wherever they run into each other. And they have a chat about the team's work. 
those people that are not at that location then miss out on the information exchange, the influence tactics, um, the conclusions that are reached in that conversation. And being able to compensate that seems to me as being one of the same challenges. Would you one of the big challenges? Would you agree with that? Or you you see others? No, I think well there there are many, but that is a big one. And the thing is that those who aren't there then often begin to believe that that is intentional and they're being left out on purpose. And as you described it, that wasn't the case at all. It's, it's the human interaction that allowed things to happen. And now I've heard it three times because it's been said in the office. And I assume that everybody knows when the folks who aren't there haven't ever had that opportunity. Right. So I'm not saying it's never intentional, I would say that most of the time it's not, and yet it's really hard when you're the person that's not there to feel included because you're not, right? Because you're not. And so it becomes the leader's job to connect those dots, to set different expectations for uh, how we make sure that we're all on the same page and how we make sure we're communicating so that we keep everyone on the same page. And And that all becomes a part of the leader's role. Yeah. Just for the record, I will say that some people are feeling that even when they're in the same office, they're just not in the meeting where comments are made or things are said or conclusions are drawn. So we have problems with this all over everywhere. Let me go back to what you said about it's not just about having somebody who works from home either all of the time or once in a while. It's about taking a team that's not in the same location and keeping them truly connected. So what have you seen are the secrets to success? of keeping a team that is a distance apart from each other connected? Well, so first of all, there are lots of teams that are physically located together that aren't very effective, right? So let's just assume for a second that we know how to make that happen, right? And so there are things that you're doing. There are maintenance things. There are uh, interpersonal things that you're doing as a leader or that you're supporting the team in doing that allows that to be successful. And one of the you know, you said that the subtitle of the book, The Long Distance Leader, is Rules for Remarkable Remote Leadership. And the first of the rules, excuse me, is that it is leadership first, location second. So I would start there. If you've had a successful team, an, an integrated, engaged, collaborative team when they were all together, you know some things that help make that happen. The same things have to happen because leadership is still leadership if people aren't together. But you have to be more intentional about it. You have to be more clear about it. And so it's, it's, it's making sure that you're maintaining the relationships between people. It's making the connections when people join the team. Let me give you a couple of very tactical examples, Wanda, of things that you can okay. do. Okay. First thing I would say is when, when, when we're all in the same place and we walk into the conference room for a meeting, Some people get there before the meeting starts, right? And what do they do? Mm -hmm. Well, they start to chat. Mm -hmm. And they chat about whatever. Maybe work, maybe not. But they chat. What happens when we're all remote or when some people are remote? Well, what happens is the leader is the one setting up the meeting, and they get there late. And so the minute the meeting, the minute everyone is admitted to the room, we start the meeting. And all of that natural interaction doesn't happen. So simple tactic number one, make sure that your meeting rooms are Your online meetings are set up early and that as people arrive, you encourage and allow them to just chat about whatever. Create some of that social engagement that is a small part of what is lost when people aren't in the same place. Second thing on meetings, 
is if you have this remote team as we're describing right now, and that's what I have when we're not in lockdown, is everyone, we, we commit that we have the meeting virtually, not half and half. In other words, we don't put five people in the same room and then everyone else is a, is a stepchild because they're mm-hmm. on their webcams. Everybody goes to their own offices and we're all on the webcam. If we, we can learn to have highly effective virtual meetings, and when we have that kind of meeting, we always, or nearly always have it with everybody coming at it from the same place. And here's one more thing. Okay. When you have a team that's distributed, Wanda, what I always do and I encourage everyone else to do is when someone joins the team, in the first two weeks, one of their expectations is that you will have a conversation with everybody else on the team phone or webcam, preferably webcam, and that 30-minute call or that 30-minute conversation is not about work. So if I join the team and I need to talk with you about work and understanding your role, we need to do that plus 30 more minutes. Mm -hmm. So the point is that we have to sort of legislate or make it okay for people to start to build the relationship that would have likely happened naturally if we saw each other in the break room. So there's just a couple of small examples that can start to help you tactically make that happen. There's far more that we can do, but there's a couple of simple things that you can do. Yeah, if you acknowledge that the relationships between individuals on the team is what allows the team to have some honest debates, to have some difficult conversations, to say what they're really worried about, to create psychological safety in effect, then when you are not in the same room, there's a whole host of ways in which that just doesn't happen, and you've got to compensate for them is what I'm hearing you say. So the kind of chat, the get to know each other, the common, and what I see people doing when they're not in the same location is they cut all of that chat out as if it was a waste of time. Yeah, when we aren't together, everything becomes transactional, right? I pick up the phone and call you and say, hey, Wanda, I know you're busy. I'll just take it. This will just take a second. And all we do is transact with the business, talk about the task, and nothing else. So that means as a leader, we must lead by when we get on the phone or on a web call or whatever, right? When we're in an interaction with our folks, it needs to be an interaction and not just a transaction, which means that we need to ask questions about how they're doing and what's going on. And certainly during this time of, of this pandemic, what, how are they feeling and what's going on with their, you know, what needs do they have and all of those things before we get to the work. So if number one, if we don't ask them first, they won't volunteer it. And if we don't make it okay to talk about the non-work stuff, they definitely won't. And if we lead that way ourselves, they will start to understand that that's okay to do with each other. And I believe we should set that as an expectation. It's okay for you guys to have a 10-minute conversation. It's okay to get on your webcams and have a cup of coffee together because you do it in the office. Why not do it when you're in different offices? Yeah, I think we underestimate the importance of those sorts of things. Um, I think one of the other things that we, uh, well, I won't go there. Let me let me go on back to a comment that you said in here, which is that if you're having the meeting and some portion of the team is not in the location, they're going to be virtually connecting, then everybody should mm-hmm. be virtually connecting. And Marshak's research, far-flung teams, says the same thing. Why do you think that's so important, that we're either 100% present or 100% virtual? Well, because there are so there are already 
you know, some challenges that come with us being virtual. We can overcome most all of them, but we know that it's more likely that we'll interrupt each other and all of those things, right? But when you've got five of us together and everyone else is on the, uh, you know, remote, then the conversation ends up being much more about those in the room. And those who aren't, aren't there are much less likely to be able to hear and see everyone in the same ways. Technology is getting better in those regards, but we really put everyone back on an, on an equal footing when we put everyone in the same place in the platform. And again, we can get better at running virtual meetings so that we can overcome most of those challenges. And it's far better to have us all on the same and equal footing in that regard, equally able to hear each other, equally able to see each other. And just in our experience, as well as what the research says, it's just far more effective. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much information that's exchanged when people are sitting around the table together. Um, there's eye contact, there's, you know, head noddings, there's a whole bunch of stuff that is just never conveyed to people who are not in the room. And even when I've got five people on a webcam, you never can see as much of that when you're at a distant location. So it's, I, I find it difficult to do that. I end up playing to the people who are sitting right in front of me as opposed to trying to include everybody. Um, Okay, so leadership first, location second. And what that means is whatever I would have done as a leader to create a phenomenally strong, powerful team, I need to do that when people are not in the same location. So I need to be thoughtful and intentional about it. All right, so that's rule number one. What's rule number two? Oh, I don't know, Wanda. There's 17 rules. Don't ask me that. Ask it that way. Uh, well, pick your second <laughs> favorite one. I can one. certainly give you another one of them. Uh, there you don't, go. Don't quiz me on the order, but I can certainly give you another one uh, without having the book in front of me. And another one of those rules is that leadership is about outcomes, others, and ourselves. And so one of the things that remote leaders get gets in the remote leader's way, especially early on, is they ask the question, well, how do I know they're doing work, right? Mm-hmm. Because we know that we, it is about outcomes. We have to be reaching outcomes. But where people get messed up is they start focusing on activity rather than accomplishment. So as a remote leader, we, gotta, we need to have clearer expectations with our folks about what the outcomes are. What are the things, what are the results that we're after? And once we get that clear with folks, because it is about the outcomes rather than the activities, then we set ourselves up to help our teams be more effective, and we set ourselves up to not be seen as micromanaging. Or even, you know, where you need to dip in and check in and touch base and make sure we're on track or things have not gone off base, and that's a touch base as opposed to a micromanagement base. So clarity on goals. Yeah, go ahead. So what I was going to say is that once we have clear expectations, we need to have, especially remotely, we need to have expectations not only about the what, but about the how. And so once we're clear, so let's say that, that you know, you're on my team, Wanda, and we've talked about what it is that you're going to deliver. And I say, so how about we have a, we have a one-on-one once a week just to make sure we're in alignment. Now, you may not love that frequency. You might wish it was less frequently, right, than that. But even if, but as long as you know that we're going to do this once a week and it's on the calendar, then you're not going to feel like I'm checking up because you know it's coming, right? But if we haven't set some agreements around that, that timing and that rhythm, 
then every time I reach out to you, you're immediately going, oh, the boss is reaching out. What does he want now? Or why is he checking up on me? We've set a clarity about that on the front end. Yeah. So that is, and again, in a when someone is not there beside you, they're not going to necessarily see how frequently you do it with other people, that it's just common for them. The intentionality in your facial and body expression is often missing as well. And it's really easy, as you started, to believe that it's somehow something about me, as opposed to just mm-hmm. your pace and style as a leader. Absolutely. That's exactly right. All right, so when you say others, outcomes, and ourselves, but we talked about outcomes. We didn't talk about the others. So why do you say others, outcomes, and ourselves? Well, actually, I start with outcomes because at the end of the day, it is about us as a leader. It's our job to, to, to reach a desired outcome, right? We're trying to go someplace. And so leadership is about outcomes. Where are we trying to go? What's our desired destination? And we're not doing it alone. Because we're, we're leading a group, so how do we help, assist, and work with others to reach those desired outcomes? So uh, I believe the best leaders are outwardly focused on both the outcomes and their team. But there is that third O, which is ourselves. We have to be clear about how we, what our role is. We have to be taking care of ourselves. I think it's important to recognize that um, when you've got a team, especially if they're remote, especially in these times, that we need to take care of our team and make sure they've got what they need to be successful, but we need to make sure we're taking care of ourselves as well because we can't serve them at their best, at, to, the, to their best, if we're not taking care of ourselves as well. Okay. All right. I I want to I know we're not going to go through all of the 1719 rules that are in your <laughs> fabulous book, but I'm so intrigued by these two because they make so much sense to me. Kind of give me a couple more. What are the you know, the next big highlights that you want to hit? Just because you like them if for no other reason. Well, let's talk about um, let's talk about rule number 9. Communicate in ways that work best for others rather than based on your personal preferences. So, you may be perfectly happy doing email, right? I like email. I love email. Email works for me. Email isn't always the best communication tool. So, first of all, we ought to be picking the right tools to reach the best outcomes, number one. And number two, we need to be using the tools that not, that not only reach the best outcomes, but, but work best for those outcomes, not just because we like them or don't like them. There's no good reason for people to not turn on their webcam just because they don't like to see themselves on the webcam. There's no good reason why we can't be picking the right tools to get to the communication desired outcomes that we want. And so uh, we we have to, as leaders, recognize that a big part of our job is communication, right? And we have a bunch of tools at our disposal to use to do that when we're working remotely. And we have to use those tools because we can't just walk into someone's office. We can't see someone in the coffee room, to your point earlier. We don't have the serendipitous um, moments of conversation. And so we must be intentional and pick the tools that will help us get the, the results, the message received that we want. Not just the ones we like, but the ones that are going to work best. Okay. Okay, and so, and I, I'm looking at what's going to work best for the person that I'm leading, which may be different for one person versus another person. Now, how do I figure that out? What works best for the angels? That's just an asking. Yeah, so so there's, you're right. Part of that is 
the, the communication outcome in general, and the other part of that is that other person, right? So, you know, we're, we're big believers in the DISC model of communication styles, but there are all sorts of models. If in your organization you use Myers-Briggs or what doesn't matter really what you use, but if you have some model to help you understand that not everyone communicates in the same way, that what we want to do is move to where they are flex our strategies and our approach and our style to that other person uh, rather than trying to communicate the way we communicate and, you know, I am what I am and you have to take me at what I, what I am. So whether that's using a tool, which like that, which could help you or whether it's asking the question, right. As you, as you asked. So, so Wanda, as we're going to have our ongoing communication, what would be the best way? What will help you most? How can I best, communicate with you so that you are getting what you need and when you need it and how you need it. There's no reason we can't ask those questions, right? We may have some tools that will give us some clues that might really help us, but we can certainly ask those questions as well as just being observant and experimenting to find ways to get better communication results. And do you have um, any kind of general advice about when to use tools, how to use tools, or is it really completely tailored for the individuals and for the purpose of the outcomes? No, I would say one of the things we talk about in the book is a, is a model that we borrowed from Bettina Boucher, who talks about the idea of richness of communication versus scope of communication. And in short, here's the way it looks, that the, the richest possible communication is you and I face-to-face, having a conversation. We have all the vocal clues. We have all the visual clues. It's the richest communication we can have. But it's just two of us. There's not any scope. It's not transferable, right? It's not, we, we, we can't really extend it. So, high, so that's very rich with low scope. High scope is a, is a mass sent email. Everyone gets the same message, but not nearly the richness is there. So every communication tool we hit, have falls on that those two continuums. And so it's thinking about how much richness can I get and do I need here versus how much scope do I need in this situation. So, you know, we don't have time to unpack all of that, but that's the model that we like to have people think about. And so, yeah, there's personal preference, but really it's about how can we make sure that we get the message received that's the one that we sent. And so being more intentional about which tools you might use in a given situation is super important for us as leaders and to set expectations with the team about when we're going to use which tool. Okay. All right. Now we've talked, I love that the richness and that work is fabulous. Um, The richness from low to high and the scope from low to high and think about what your optimum mix of those two, that's going to make the greatest impact for what you're trying to achieve or what's needed in the particular circumstances. Um, Now we've talked a lot about this in terms of communication with uh, the leader to the team, but you also started at the very beginning talking about the connections among team members and the importance for team members to spend some time in chat with each other that wasn't just um, task-oriented. Do you have advice for how to facilitate that as a leader, where they spend, where they really make more connections with each other? Well, so first of all, you need to make it an expectation to let people know that, hey, that's not, not only is it okay for you to spend time talking about something other than work, but expect that they do. Right? It's not just okay that you do, it's important that you do. And that's why I believe that in that onboarding process, to have that, that planned 
meeting with every person that they would be interacting with regularly um, sets that table right from the start. And then, then, of course, you need to be modeling it yourself, and you need to be observing and noticing where there are um, connections and maybe where those connections aren't as strong. And then lastly, make sure use some use some time when you do have everyone together to continue to foster that. So whether that using some sort of a question to start your meetings that get people to know a little bit more about each other, or whether that, uh, you know, sharing with the rest of the group when someone's done something especially uh, effective or really helps the rest of the team, there, there, are, there are times when we're all in the same place that we know some things people have done that are helpful that we don't necessarily know when we're all working in our own Mm-hmm. at our own dining room tables, right? And so we need to connect the dots for people. We need to encourage that to happen. And we need to model it as well. Yeah, yeah. This is, yeah, right. I think all of this speaks to the challenges that I'm hearing leaders talk about at the moment. You know, there's this question of how do I keep people motivated? Translate, it's not about me keeping them motivated. It's how do I know that they are motivated and still taking action? And we've talked about that in terms of being clear about your goals and accomplishments, not just your activity levels. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really important distinction. And it's clarity not just in what, but in how, so that, you know, I can now have some measures of are we making progress the way we need to make progress. And it's also keeping people glued together in ways that are not just what did you do for me yesterday, but the human-to-human connection and making sure that stuff also happens when people are not in the same physical location. I get all of that. And, and, and think, Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, and sometimes people, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Sometimes people, sometimes you know stuff that the other people don't know. Like you know that you've got this one person that happens to be a hockey fan and another person that grew up in Canada, and you find out that they're a hockey fan. Well, they may not make that connection, but you can make that connection for them, just like you would at a cocktail party when you're trying to connect people in that regard, right? So we're not talking about a cocktail party here, but that, but that strategy of how do I help people find those common interests and give them the chance to engage in those common interests um, is useful. And again, you may know more about that as the leader of each individual, then they might naturally know about each other, especially when they're in different locations. So connect the dots for them when you can as well. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Um, it just, again, we're finding those interpersonal common grounds, common connection, common interests that are the glue for helping bring people together and the glue for building a bit of trust as along the way. Okay, Kevin, this strikes me as a particularly useful time to take a break. So my guest today is um, Kevin Eikenberry. The book that we're talking about is The Long Distance Leader, Rules for Remarkable Remote Leadership. Now, if you know anything about Kevin's work, you'll know that this is closely tied to what it takes to be a remarkable leader in the first place. So when we come back, we're going to dig in a little bit more into that work in addition to some other comments on the remote leadership. And we'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. 
You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. Leading outside of your comfort zone is a delicate balance. You need new skills and new ways of working. To reach the program today, send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. That's wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Kevin Eikenberry. The book that we have been talking about is The Long Distance Leader, The Rules for Remarkable Remote Leadership. Now, I should say that Kevin is at the Kevin Eikenberry Group, which is a leadership consulting company, and he's worked with a whole host of clients from the American Red Cross to Chevron, Phillips, John Deere, Sears, and Canada, Shell, Southwest West, Southwest Airlines, and a host of others, and he also has a number of other books. One in particular is called Remarkable Leadership, Unleashing Your Leadership Potential One Skill at a Time. And he's created, in consistence with that, um, the Remarkable Leadership Institute, the learning system in the Institute. And as you've seen in the first segment of this show, some of those ideas are showing up in this notion of how you can be a long-distance leader. For example, the three O's, which are the hallmark of remarkable leadership outcomes, others, and ourselves. So, Kevin, I want to pick up again. I'm just so fascinated with your 19 rules of how to manage when you are leading people who are not in the same location with you. And I love the first three that we talked about in particular. It's going to stick with me forever, this notion of leadership first and location second. So, if you're, you know, let's continue. I want to hear a couple more of your tips on what to do. Well, um, Let's talk about one that's about us as individuals for a second. Okay. I mean, as a leader, right? Uh, and, and so rule number 16 is accept that you can't do it all and you shouldn't try anyway. So one of the things that happens when people start to work remotely, right, is they try, they try really hard to be super self-reliant. And uh, I, I believe in self-reliance and all of those things. But the reality is that we sometimes try to be the hero. Uh, and, you know, we are wearing a bunch of hats. We're wearing a leader hat. We're wearing a team member hat. We're on at least two teams, the team that we serve and the team that we're of our peers. Uh, we're, we may be a parent and we may be a spouse. We may have a hundred other things that we're trying to do. And oftentimes in the focus of trying to get all the work done, and by the way, when we're working from home too, the work never really leaves. Right? And so we have to make sure we're taking care of ourselves. And we need to do the same thing for our team members as well. I mean, this whole idea, and we were talking about it earlier, about about making sure that people are getting the things accomplished. Mm-hmm. Um, don't lose sight of the productivity component of that. Right? I mean, you have people, they'll get things done, but the work never leaves. So 
they keep going back to work and they're working longer hours than ever. They may not be productive, but they're getting the work done. So the idea of productivity, Wanda, is that, you know, there's a numerator and a denominator. It's not just, did they get it all done? How much time did it take them to get it all done? Right. And so we got to make sure that we're not just working longer and harder and not just making sure we're always available for people in the 12 time zones that we're serving, but taking care of ourselves. Yeah, we've got to be flexible. And sometimes we might have to have a call at two o'clock in the morning with that team member of ours for whom that's in the middle of their work day. But that doesn't mean we have to do or need to do or should do that all of the time, right? Can't do it all. Not a superhero. So we've got to, we've got to be clear about that for ourselves and take care of ourselves. We've got to help our team members do the same. Okay. I, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I love that the, just the very simple reminder that productivity has a numerator and a denominator and that it's not just about the work. It's also about the time that we put in place in that one. You know, though, Kevin, quite honestly, especially when we're dealing with clients around the world and clients can be in various time zones incredibly demanding and not very tolerant of vacations or holidays or family crises or moving, locate, you know, changing your household to a different location, a whole bunch of stuff that happens in lives. Any advice for how to push back so that we make sure that we're accommodating both ourselves as well as those others' needs? Well, that becomes a, that becomes a, a conversation about priorities, a conversation about uh, work-life balance, right? I think both of those play into that. And here's the interesting thing about the word priority, uh, Wanda, and that is the, the root word of the word priority had no plural. Okay. There was no such thing originally right. as priority. There was priority. And so, as I've often said to leaders, if you've got 12 goals, you've got no goals. Okay. You know, if you've got eight things, you've got no things. And so, we have to be, what what is truly most important? And, and that can go to today, too. What are the three things I must accomplish today? And we have to make sure that we're thinking that 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 forces us to, to take the difference between the important and the urgent. Because if we don't understand what's important, both work and outside of work, the urgent will always win. There's always another email. There's no such thing as an empty inbox. There's no such thing as an, uh, the task list with nothing on it, right? So we, we have to understand the important or the urgent will always win. Right. That's a, I, that's a great way to say it, that if you don't understand the important, then the urgent is always there. Um, I take a phrase from Neen James that I think is really powerful on this one, and she says there's never enough time. There will never be enough time. There's always one more thing to do, one more place to check, one more email to write, one more. Now it becomes a matter of how you spend your time, and I think that's what you're talking about. What's the really well, what I would say is spend my time? Uh, on? I mean, I, I love that thought, and I, I, in a way, I disagree because we all have exactly enough time because that's all there is, and so it's really not about time management; it's about choice management. And so we have to be clear about the choices that we make because that's really all we have. Because the time is a, is a set amount for all of us, right? So I understand Neen's point, and I get it completely. And yet the front end of it is almost wrong because, it's, it's, you know, it's not, there's never enough time because we have exactly what there is. There is no more. Yeah. 
Yeah. The challenge she is would, how do we choose she would agree to with you use that sentiment, the time by the way, because She would say time management is the wrong strategy. So we're on the same page at least. Yeah. Oh, no. And I, I'm, I'm really not disagreeing with her sentiment at all. I just was wanted to make that point. It's like it. to ask for more time. There's no such thing. Like we got the same 24 hours, the same, the same, you know, the same 24 hours, the same 60 minutes, the same 1440 minutes a day. Like we all have the same amount, how we choose to use it. Just to use it. Okay. All right. That's a whole other conversation in itself. Yes, um, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and coming to conclude what it is that is really important and how I'm choosing to do that and verifying that with all the people that are around me. And there's a long, 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 long story on that one. So I'm going to take us right back to this notion of the long distance leader, even though helping people set that priority may be among the most important things that you do as a leader. Um, I want to talk for a minute about trust. So big topic. Everybody's talking about how much you trust people. Lots of people talking about the components that go into making up trust. How does this trust process work when I never get to see you face to face? What's your views on this? Well, the first thing is that, you know, Trust takes a hit when we don't see each other. Absence does not necessarily make the heart grow fonder. Like when we don't have uh, experience and when we don't have time with people, trust can take a hit. There's no doubt about it, right? So we must do things to counteract that. And a lot of the things we've already talked about can be aids to that, right? Because one of the pieces of trust is do people understand enough about each other to understand what their intentions are? And so the better we people start to know each other, the better shot we have at them understanding their intentions. And so if they believe that their intentions are in, if I believe your intentions are in my best interest, then I'm going to trust you more in that regard, right? So, so that's certainly part of it. I guess knowing that there's a lot of ground you want to cover today, Wanda, uh, and knowing yeah. that our time is limited, I, I will just say this thing about trust, that we... I'll say two things. First of all, we must be more intentional about trying to work to build it when folks are at a distance. And a lot of the things we've already talked about are aids to doing that. And here's the second thing I will say. Trust is a noun. Trust exists. It's a noun. And trust is a verb. I trust you. Right? So if you recognize that it is both of those things, then here's how you build it. The more of the verb you do, the more of the noun you get. So the more that I show you that I trust you through my actions, the more that you reciprocate that back. And so the more that we do things that are trust, trusting behaviors of others, and the more that we're overtly doing that when we're doing it remotely, the more we can begin to build trust. Okay. So we've taught, I like that. I like that notion. <laughs> she that has a trust heavy <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because there's like three directions I wanted to go simultaneously with that comment. Um, One of them is that I believe trust operates in reciprocal, and you just said the same thing. So what I mean by that is it's not about letting me wait to see if I trust you. It's about me giving you trust and letting you reciprocate. So it's a gift versus uh, a wait for. But I like this notion of… The more I if we keep waiting, it could be a long time, right? 
Yeah, <laughs> I may be waiting forever. <laughs> so, yep. Some of that one. So I like this distinction between the noun and the verb. I think that one is a very clever twist, and it's a really important one in this particular occasion. We've talked about um, some of the hallmarks, I think, of building trust, which are understanding my style so that I know how to communicate mm-hmm. with you in the most effective tools that are available when we're not face-to-face. We've talked about it in terms of getting, uh, you know, building some connectivity in the relationship that's not just about the transaction, so that I know something about you, I know what I have in common, we have some time for just the chat, because I think that builds the trust. Um, is there anything else that you would particularly highlight on how to do when we're remote? Yeah, I'll just add this, because we haven't really touched on this a lot, and that is that the, the longer people work by themselves, right, in their own home or whatever, the more insular they see things and the more they focus on their task list. So you, we think about organizations having silos, but when people are working alone, the silos become <laughs> individuals, are silos, right? So as a leader, if we're truly trying to have a remote team and not just people working remotely, then we have to find ways and, and engage people in situations where they are expected to, need to, must work collaboratively. So once you get people with a clear set of expectations and a goal that they're trying to reach that requires them to work together, even though they are remote, you're giving them the chances to build that trust through those interactions. Yeah. I can see where this goes uh, badly wrong in terms of the trust equation if you're not very mindful of it as the leader. So if people get more insular, they get more focused on their particular task, their particular deadlines, their particular things they need from somebody else in order to advance, then it's a very easy step from there to say what's wrong with you and why haven't you delivered because I need it. Yeah, exactly. So in the, in the new book that's coming out in the next few months called The Long Distance Teammate, we talk about the idea of two boxes. There's the box of what we would call our work or, you know, your work. Like that's the, that's the stuff that you do every day. That's your work. But that's not the whole job. The, the larger box, if you think about that box with, with a larger box, um, that's inside of a larger box. The stuff outside of the first box is what we call team work. It's the other stuff still part of your job. It is that interacting with others, but it's also that collaborating with others. It is, it is the understanding their work so that you're delivering what they need, and they're not just thinking about your own stuff. So we think of it as your work and team, quote, quote unquote, team work, right? So that that we have to, as a leader, help people see that the job is the big box, not just the smaller box. So we have to help people get outside of the insular, well, that's not my job, to see that their job is bigger than just their personal, technical, subject matter expertise. I like that. That one is a really, really important thing. I know when I'm working with teams, and we're not even talking about remote teams, um, remote-located teams or individuals, that one of the things I say you have to do if you're going to really become a strong team is you have to have a common goal, meaning a common thing that you cannot accomplish without each other. You need to need each other. An exchange of information is not what I count as need each other. 
Um, and this is what you're saying. If we can draw the highlight on the team's work, what are we as a team trying to accomplish and my fit within that team so that it doesn't just become an insular, well, I did my job, what's wrong with you um, process. That makes a huge difference. Um, Kevin, I think we could talk about this one for ages, but I want to talk for a minute about culture and about the kind of culture that, how does culture play into this um, remote process, particularly when frequently we have people who are in one country with a completely different operating culture from another country. What's your advice there? Well, first of all, culture is nothing more than uh, the way we do things around here, right? That's what it is. Um, and so we fancy that word around. I'll just give you, that's my definition. Culture is the way we do things around here. And you have one. I mean, you've already got one. It may not be the one you want. It may not be the one that's serving you. Even with a remote team, you've got one. If you had everybody together a few months ago, you had a culture, and then once you sent everybody home because the government said you need to, right, you still had one, and it's evolved during that time. So to me, the the effect is the important thing to think about culture is what do I want, and do we have what we want? And if we don't have the culture we want, what is the aspirational culture that we desire? What's that picture look like? And then what do we start to do to move in that direction? And I think a lot of the things that we've talked about today could very well be a part of that aspirational culture, right? We want, we want to have a, a, a situation where we operate with high trust. We want to have a situation where people know each other and there's a social dynamic as well as a work dynamic, whatever those things might be. And so I think that as leaders, we have to recognize we already got one. The only question is, is it the one we want or that serves us most okay. effectively? And if it's not, then we need to start thinking about what is the one that we want. And then that's a whole conversation of, about creating a picture of that. And then there's, change, there's a change conversation we could have and all that stuff. But it all starts with, you've got one now. Is it the one you want or not? Okay. And once people work remotely, as we said, it will tend to, unless we take actions like we've talked about today, trust will devolve. Right, interaction will devolve, and transaction will take over, and uh, and trust will, will will devolve, as I said. So lots of things will start to happen, but we can counteract all of them. We have to recognize that there have been remote teams for a very long time, right? Oh, my co-author yeah. Wayne Tremell likes to say that you know Genghis Khan led a remote team and never had a WebEx meeting, right? So like <laughs> there have been remote teams for a long time, and and so. We have to recognize that we just have to pick up the mantle of doing the things that will help us create what we need. And hopefully today has helped give people some ideas of how to do some of those things. Or at least get them started. Okay. I see now why this notion about the long-distance leader and the upcoming book, The Long-Distance Team, is sort of an outgrowth of the notion of remarkable leadership. And in the last couple of minutes that we have, I'm going to ask you to summarize your entire life's work in two minutes, Kevin, and recognize how crazy that is. But what do we need to know about what makes for remarkable leadership? Well, so first of all, I worked a long time to come up with a word. And I picked the word, or the word remarkable found me, maybe is maybe where to say it. So if something is remarkable, it is something worth remarking about. And so to me, the picture is, how can, I, how can I be a leader that's worth remarking about? Not for me and my ego, 
Because at the end of the day, leadership is about people choosing to follow us. And so if remarkable leadership is about becoming the leader we're capable of becoming so that people choose to follow, because you're not leading. If you, if you think you're leading and no one's following, Wanda, you're just taking a walk. You're dumb. Yeah. And I'm not in the exercise business. I'm in the leadership business. I'm in the creating change business. And so leaders are, remarkable leaders are those that have a picture of where they're trying to go and can outcome and can elicit the investment and the commitment of others to move to that same desired outcome. That's the others. And that it's, and then we have to recognize what we must do to become our best selves. And that's the us part. Great. So we're back to exactly where we started in the beginning, this notion of outcomes, real clarity on what we're trying to achieve and how we're trying to achieve it, expectations. Um, and I love the the statement, how do I elicit the investment of other people? What do I need to be doing as a leader that's going to get the best out of them? And now you talked about communication on that one and trust and a whole bunch of factors. And then, so what do we do as leaders, as individuals to be our best selves and therefore to create teams and where individuals are their best selves? Okay, that was a pretty good summary of what I know has been a long journey for you. I like the concept of remarkable leadership. One of the things I often do with groups that I work with is I usually start a session asking people to identify a leader they admire and then asking them to say why. Partly because it gets a great discussion going and partly because it's a way of introducing all the concepts I want to talk about in a very quick order. And I now think I'm going to switch to say a remarkable leader because I think that's exactly what it was that I was looking for. How do we find that person that's remarkable? Or I become that person. Sounds good to me. Okay, I like it. I like it. I like it. Okay, um, Kevin, I've started a new policy here where I want to ask people about getting out of their comfort zone because I'm curious about a time when you had to step out and do something that wasn't so comfortable for you. And most importantly, I want to know what was the secret to your success. And you've got two minutes. Well, I, I would like to hope that I try to do things that are uncomfortable for me on a regular basis. Uh, I, I, can think of a, I can think of a bunch of times, but I, I, I will go here. Um, a lot of times, because of the work that I do and the way people look to me, and even that you choose to have me on, Kevin must be the expert, right? And so for me, is when I'm doing something that, is, that I'm not the expert in, being willing to say that I'm not the expert and being willing to ask for help. And what I have found that when I do that, um, not only do I learn more and learn faster, but I set an example not only for myself, but for my team around me. So the simple example that I'm thinking of right now, um, when I was a kid, I rode a snowmobile because we had snowmobiles. And I don't know, four or five years ago, I bought a snowmobile uh, to have at my farm in Michigan. And a close friend of mine was with me for the weekend, and we were going to ride. And I said, Alan, I haven't ridden a snowmobile in 20 years. I want you to teach me like I'd never been on one before. What do I need to know about running it? What do I need to know about maintaining it? What do I need to know about everything? I know that I've done it before, but it's been so long, I don't want you to assume anything. And by starting there with a beginner's mind, it put me in a much better position to be successful. So, When we find ourselves in uncomfortable situations, we've got to be learners. 
and we've got to be okay with that. We got to we've got to be vulnerable and just and just be a learner. Here's my advice. I love it. Kevin. I have no that's idea why fabulous. I thought of snowmobiling and Alan, that's okay. but that's what it crossed my mind. So there's where we went. That's okay. I love it. The idea of having people teach you like you've never done it before. Um, my guest today is Kevin Eikenberry. The book that we have been talking about is The Long Distance Leader Rules for Remarkable Remote Leadership. He also has a book, Remarkable Leadership, as well. Kevin, thank you for being a guest today. Um, I think my it was my pleasure about- to be here. I think my one single phrase takeaway that just sort of summarizes everything is leadership first, location second. Whatever you would do to be a remarkable leader when you're face-to-face, figure out a way to do that when you're not face-to-face. All right. So join us next week for another episode in Getting Out of Your Comfort Zone. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.